Welcome to the Metta Hour with Sharon Salzberg, where Buddhist wisdom meets everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Be Here Now Network and features interviews with the top leaders, teachers, and thinkers of the mindfulness movement and beyond. For more information, visit BeHereNowNetwork.com backslash Sharon. Hi, I'm Sharon Salzberg, and I'm speaking today with two great friends and colleagues, Ramesh Radas and Roshi Joan Halifax, PhD. So I just realized I should probably call her Dr. Roshi in this day and age. <laughs> don't. don't. <laughs> We're in conversation today about the amazing new book, which was just released in January of 2021, Being Ramdas, co-authored by Ramdas and Ramesh Radas, also known as Ramesh, to his friends. Ramesh has been navigating a spiritual path for 50 years. I believe Ramesh was actually known as Jim when he was at my very first retreat in January 1971. So that's correct. We've known each other a while. (laughs) Ramesh met Ramesh. I was known as Joan. (laughs) Yes, Dr. Joan. (laughs) Ramesh met Ramdas in 1968 and spent time with Neem Kroli Baba in India from 1970 to 1972. He's worked as an artist, photographer, environmentalist. If you'd on the bus, you would have joined us too. Oh, I know. That's a whole story too. (laughs) Maybe we'll get into that. (laughs) You and I can both tell that story from different angles. (laughs) Definitely. uh, Ramesh has worked as an artist, photographer, environmentalist, and writer and collaborated on many projects with Ramdas over the years, including the original Be Here Now. Also here today for this podcast is my great friend, Roshi John Halifax, PhD, who is a close confidant and colleague to Ramdas throughout his life. Roshi is a Buddhist teacher, Zen priest, anthropologist, and pioneer in the field of end-of-life care. She's the founder, abbot, and head teacher of Upaya Institute and Zen Center in Santa Fe, New Mexico a beautiful, beautiful place. She received her PhD in medical anthropology in 1973 and has lectured on the subject of death and dying at many academic institutions and medical centers around the world. Roshi is the author of several books, including her most recent title, the 2018 release, Standing at the Edge. Welcome to the podcast, both of you. It's so great to be talking to you. Yeah, Sharon. It is uh, the the miracle and, in a way, the silver lining of a very strange time in our world. Indeed. Um, So I have a a hard-covered copy of this book. I'm reading it on Kindle. And uh, does that have the photos in it? uh, Yes, but it's it's a a giant book. And it's so beautifully produced. It's really fabulous. I mean, the the photo on the jacket is yes. unbelievable. It's just like, it is loving awareness. So RD. How, how did you pick that uh, image of the many photographs of him? Did you well, take this is, photo, Ramesh? It, it is one that I took. Yeah. And, um, I, you know, the intention was really to... Uh, grab people across a bookstore aisle. But of course, there are not too many bookstores open right now. But anyway. Yeah. It's really gorgeous. So maybe uh, we could start. Ramdas has played such a central role in each of our lives as a friend, a mentor, a colleague. Uh, maybe we could start with each of you sharing a little bit about how you first met R.D. So uh, you, Ramesh, were, did you actually meet him when you were at Wesleyan as a student? Yeah, um, but Roshi met him earlier than I did. Oh, really? She knew him oh. when he was Richard. Oh, let's start with Dr. Roshi then. Well, you know, uh, a long story, but in a few words, I was married to Stan Groff, as uh, some of you know, who was a pioneer in the field of LSD research, particularly around issues um, related to death and dying, but also addiction. And also, you know, Stan worked uh, in Czechoslovakia with artists and um, uh, with psychotherapists. And so, uh, needless to say, um, uh, uh, 
Ram Dass and Tim were doing something the same, but also different, <laughs> really different. So uh, Stan is, you know, at that time, and I think still has this incredibly curious mind and um, is open to everything. So we had this meeting with this really uh, edgy, wild, uh, funny, super smart um, pioneer in the field, and that was Ramdas. Mm-hmm. And you know, part of it, it it was around psychedelics, and part of it was around um, end of life. You know, he was really interested in states of consciousness, and had this. Uh, sort of the seed um, that was growing into a, a, a forest, if you will, inside of him that was related to uh, care of the dying. So it, it, I, I loved him. I have to tell you, you know, Stan is, you know, Stan's a really interesting person, but he, he wasn't that much fun. And- <laughs> We're still friends, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, lifetimes later, but um, uh-huh. Ram Das just was mischief, absolute, uh-huh. uh, total mischief. And I actually was, uh, uh, you know, around the Tim situation, Tim Leary situation. You know, Tim was he was uh, super mischievous, and the you know the feeling I had also he was mischief with danger. So. Uh-huh. Um, I had a warier uh, relationship with Tim through the years, but with RD, it was just falling in love all of mm-hmm. the time. And you know, wherever we met, however we were, you know, teaching together, wherever we were playing, sitting at the breakfast table in Maui, uh, and you know, every year I would propose to him, and he would flinch. <laughs> I thought he accepted a couple of times. Well, no, the last time that I saw him, uh, he proposed to me and I flinched. <laughs> yeah, it just, uh, anyway, our precious friend, gone, but very present. Very much so. So, Ramesh? Yes. Uh, well, I I only met Ramdas. I hadn't met Richard. Right, uh, right. I, I was... Uh, at the first talk that he gave when he returned from India, um, he had done his uh, master's degree uh, in psychology with uh, uh, David McClelland, who mm-hmm. you probably both know also or knew. And um, uh, people who had been students of Ramdas were by then teaching psychology at Wesleyan. And they wrote to him, uh, this is after he'd been uh, axed from Harvard. And uh, asked him to come speak at Wesleyan. And he got the letter at the uh, ashram in the Himalayas. <laughs> so when he came back in uh, uh, oh, early 1968, he uh, uh, agreed to come talk at Wesleyan. And everyone was thinking we were going to get the uh, uh, better living through modern chemistry talk. Mm-hmm. And instead, I got uh, the guru from India. And uh, this guy, uh, you know, walks in and this is uh, March and New England, frozen mud. (laughs) And uh, he walks in barefoot in a white dress with a long beard. (laughs) He did not look like a Harvard professor anymore. And that talk... uh, uh, started at 7 or 7.30 in the evening and went on until 3 in the morning. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> and uh, when I got to India two years later or two and a half years later, um, I had the same feeling when I saw Maharaji. And it was so clear that he had come through Ramdas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. So interesting. So I mean, in in starting to read the book, it was uh, it was so powerful for me in part because it's also the story of an era. You know, Ramdas was a pioneer and embodied so much of that particular time, which which was such a a powerful, transformative time in in so many ways. And um, I thought of uh, obviously the psychedelics and 
consciousness exploration and India. And, uh, and later he was such a pioneer in working with people who were dying, working with people in prison, working with homeless people. For me, he was always the first one. Yeah. Doing that. Mm -hmm. And, and it was such a, such a powerful sense reading this. It was like, oh yeah, that's like my youth, you know, and that's, yeah, That's the time I mean, in this country that was so important. It was also, you know, remember, it was tremendous political upheaval, not mm -hmm. so unlike right now. But uh, um, sure, I had to get, Vietnam was going on. I had to get out of the draft before I could go to India. Oh, wow. <laughs> which I did. <laughs> I, I got a psycho 4F. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I hesitate to ask you how you did that, but... <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I did get some uh, letters from uh, various, I, I cultivated various shrinks to uh -huh. uh, get myself certified. But um, by uh. then I had been studying with uh, Ramdas and learning yoga and uh, some meditation. So um, uh, I was, uh, I got called and I went for a physical and um, I'm standing around in my uh, underwear uh, with my mala beads <laughs> uh, for the pretty much all day, praying and doing Ram uh, mantra with great intensity. <laughs> and the shrink was the last person you get to in the line. And I think the, uh, the guy who was uh, doing that um, uh, job was probably, you know, someone who's doing his, uh, some medical student who was doing his alternative service as a, uh, a draft board shrink. Mm -hmm. And uh, by the time I got there, I could barely see him. I mean, I was pretty uh, out there from doing mm -hmm. mantra with that intensity for that amount of time, which uh, I'm, I am not the most assiduous uh, sadhu. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, anyway, so uh, he, he wrote uh, 1Y, which was the preliminary to 4F, which means you go after the women and children. Oh. <laughs> oh, so I was certified uh, crazy after. and I could go to India. <laughs> so in between you were certified crazy. <laughs> I still am. Yeah, in between meeting, meeting Ramdas at Wesleyan and uh, of avoiding the draft. Um, since you say uh, your bio says you worked with him on Be Here Now, you must have developed. A strong I, I had a very, I had a minor role on Be Here Now. I mean, I did photographs and some of the mm -hmm. uh, uh, remote work on it to uh, uh, put together the package. You know, it was in that pizza box from yeah. Mama Foundation yeah. originally. Yeah. And uh, it came along with all kinds of graphics and photographs, uh, which was some of the part that I worked on it. Um, uh, when it after it sold out, it turned into uh, a book, and there's a whole saga around that. But uh, um, and the book is "Be Here Now," which is still uh, up there in the bestsellers. Um, uh, you know, for spiritual books, I guess at this point. It's amazing. It's uh, just uh, keeps finding new generations of seekers. Mm -hmm. It's fantastic. So after meeting Ramdas at Wesleyan, did you follow him to New Hampshire or something? Yeah. Um, after the talk, he stayed over with uh, the uh, friends that he had known. And I, I went over to see him the next morning. And then I started driving up to New Hampshire to visit him. And... Uh, he taught me yoga and meditation as he'd learned it uh, in India. And that was my introduction to um, Maharaji. And uh, uh, there were two uh, summer camps at their family farm uh, in, uh, I guess, 68 and 69. Um, and there were maybe 30 or 40 people, but... Um, um, we were camping up in the woods and on George Alpert's uh, farm above the three-hole golf, golf course. <laughs> and um, uh, Danny Goldman was, uh, you know, mowing the lawn on the tractor. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
it was it was quite a scene. And then on the weekends, uh, hordes of people would come up the driveway, and Ramdas would give uh, talks under a tree. Mm. Yeah, Ramesh, I wanted to ask you about um, Artie's dad. I mean, what do you think his take was on this whole scene that developed at the farm? Um, he was astonishingly open and generous. I mean, it, he could have been uptight and not, you know, it, it was an invasion. It was basically a home <laughs> invasion and by, you know, a, a gang of crazed hippies. And uh, he was just amazingly open. He used to, um, when I was up uh, visiting, he would often take everybody out for dinner uh, to the local Italian place that he liked. And um, he didn't, I don't think he understood uh, an iota of what was going on, but it was because it was so foreign to him coming out of a, uh, you know, a kind of uh, uh, a Jewish background. And he was a lawyer and had been a CEO of the New Haven Railroad. And he, he was uh, from a, a different uh, era entirely. But I think it was so loving and uh, open that he felt that. Well, you've got to think his son has already been fired from Harvard goes to India, comes back wearing a dress, you know. Yep. And it's a great image always of of uh, George's dad meeting him at the airport. And, and yeah, it says, quick, stuff. get in the car before somebody sees you. Yeah, really. <laughs> and then, you know, just these hordes of people arriving. And uh, it, it's, I should also say it was a time of such huge turmoil in the country. You're right. Like, the war in Vietnam was going on. There was the draft, which was a terrifying proposition. There was, um, you know, it's almost like the, these breakthrough times with all the uh, the stress and the alienation and, and families. And it was just like a lot going on. And then there were these respites, you know, like, like that farm, which was a family farm and uh, where people apparently would go and uh, – do headstands and things like that. Yeah, that, that, there, uh, there is a little bit of uh, uh, footage from that summer. Uh, some yeah. of it is in that film Sunseed. Uh-huh. And um, there was a couple that came up and uh, made a film about Ramdas called Evolution of a Yogi. And, uh, I, you know, I first of all, we were also astonishingly young. Yeah, and that happens. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> somehow it certainly happened fast. Yeah, <laughs> dreamlike. It's very dreamlike. Um, but uh, there were real seeds of uh, you know things that were sown in the culture. I think at that time. Oh, and uh, one of those summers was the summer of uh, Woodstock, which was yeah. only a few hours away. Mm-hmm. And a couple of people defected for the weekend. To, to go to Woodstock? To go to Woodstock, yeah. But it's almost as though the scene at the farm prefigured Woodstock. Yeah. Well, on a personal note, I would like to say I was at Woodstock. Really? Um, yes, indeed. But I was not at the farm. Uh, did uh, did yes, you get the, breakfast in bed from Wavy Gravy? Yeah, I did. Mud? In the mud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um no doubt about that. I mean, he, he saved us. He fed us. Yeah. Um, but I didn't meet Ramdas until my first retreat, uh, which was in India in uh, January of 1971. He was uh, back in India after going back to the States. Um, he returned, and we were all sitting with this Burmese teacher, S.N. Goenka, who had just left Burma and was teaching an intensive 10-day insight meditation Retreat. So that was my first exposure to meditation. And mm. uh, the pizza box from Lama Foundation that had been here now arrived when we were all there together. And I can remember, you know, Ram just getting it and we're all looking at it. And it was like, it, it was just like this amazing moment in time. Yeah. And a, a seminal one, as it turned out. Yeah. You know, when you track the people that, were at that retreat 
you know, they, if there are certainly a number of, of you, you know, IMS yeah. came out of that. And, yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. Um, Mirabai's work, Mirabai yeah. Bush was yeah. there and uh, Danny Goldman's uh, managed to do his uh, um, Harvard thesis on meditation coming yeah. out of that <laughs> retreat. Yeah. <laughs> It, it was kind of extraordinary and a long time ago, which is also just a further reflection on how how very strange. So in those days, Ramdas was Ramdas because he had already been to India and met his guru named Karoli Baba, who's also known as Maharaji. Um, and what do you think the thing Ramesh is like? Uh, as I've heard and read in the book, when when Maharaji told Ramdas to leave India, you know two years prior to, to our meeting or, or however long ago that yeah. was. And he said, don't tell anyone about me. And then Ramdas proceeded to tell everyone about him. <laughs> well, he, he was sort of, uh, yeah, I mean, he was treading carefully on the boundaries of that. Uh, and um, he, um, he couldn't talk about anything else, for one thing. But he didn't give people Maharaji's name or where he was. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. And, uh, some people figured that out for themselves. And um, mm-hmm. uh, he allowed um, uh, me and uh, Krishnadas and Danny Goleman to write to um, the guy who had been his translator when he first met Maharaji, K.K. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sa, Krishna Kumar Sa, who is this very sweet uh, mm-hmm. Indian mm-hmm. – um, who they, he and Ramdas remained uh, almost like brothers and mm-hmm. uh, guru brothers, really. And didn't uh, he died K- just K- a month after Ramdas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, so we wrote to KK, and KK took our letters to Maharaji, mm. and um, um, we later found out that uh, when KK put the letters in front of Maharaji and explained. What they were, and Maharaji said, um, "What do I have to do with these people? Tell them not to come." <laughs> and KK interceded. He mm-hmm. was feeding Maharaji an apple, and he uh, stopped feeding him the apple, and he kind of put his head down and uh, pouted, which KK was uh, quite adept at when he wanted to. And he, uh, Maharaji said, okay, finally saw that KK was disturbed and said, all right, what's the matter? And KK said, Maharaji, I, they're Ramdas students. I can't tell them not to come. Mm-hmm. And uh, Maharaji, this went back and forth for a while. Uh, and uh, finally Maharaji said, okay, tell them anything you want. And and KK wrote to us and said um, something uh, along the line of um, Maharaji does not encourage anyone to come, but his doors are always open. Oh, nice! <laughs> that was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> and that was all we needed. <laughs> oh gosh, that is so gorgeous! You know, Abramesh. In reading this book, which, by the way, I want to mention again, is a beautiful physical object. I, I mean, you know, you you hold it, you look at its cover, the feeling uh, of the whole presentation of the book is just, just wonderful. Oh, I'm so but, glad to hear that. But I want to say reading it is something else. Um, you know, I, I am in awe of how you were able to um, draw these stories out of R.D., who was so seriously aphasic. Um, You know, uh, how did you do that? Uh, You know, the the gaps (laughs) between thoughts and words were uh, not insignificant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love what Wavy said about him, that he used to be the master of the one-liner and he became the master of the (laughs) ocean-liner. Yeah, well, it was a long uh, process, and uh, I um, certainly used it as an excuse to spend more time with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that occurred over about uh, 10 years. And uh, 
honestly, I I talked him into doing it because he didn't really want to. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. He's Mr. Live in the moment, be here now. Uh, You know, looking back at the past was Mm -hmm. not uh, really uh, on his uh, main menu. Uh, But um, we got around to uh, seeing it as a project where he could look back at his life through Maharaji's eyes. Mm -hmm. That was kind of the tact that we took with it. And um, as we got into it, I think he found it really um, um, valuable as a way of um, kind of not just excavating his past, but of of releasing it, Hmm. especially some of the old family stuff that he had kind of, you know, not dealt with entirely. Mm -hmm. And when we went back through some of the... um, um, you know, really um, crucial experiences, like his first psilocybin trip and meeting Maharaji and um, uh, his mother's death. Um, he really found uh, a, a lot of new uh, territory in those experiences, and and I think a different. Um, uh, view of them in some ways that uh, um, were very insightful. And um, I think he enjoyed that process. I mean, we had a great time doing it together. Um, we laughed a lot. It was, I, I don't know if that comes through very well. But. You know, in reading the, uh, the about his trips, so to speak, I mean, I, I actually felt like I was experiencing a contact high. It was it was really fascinating, you know, to um, uh, be in his do you know this kind of perspective taking or mind reading or sort of empathic resonance mm-hmm. with him, and you know suddenly, um, you know, I felt like I was tripping. Mm. Re- reading, you know, not only the the arc of the experience, but also, you know, uh, you just did Ramesh such a masterful job of uh, bringing a, a coherent language into uh, this, um, you know, into his expressions. So wow. um, it's it's I think it's a remarkable book. I mean, it's so evocative. You know, you could really, I felt like uh, not only. You know, I went on his trips, but I also, which you, you did know, a bit anyway. Well, that's true, but also, <laughs> uh, you know, reading this 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 particular um, uh, narrative that uh, you crafted with him um, was compelling. It's it's brilliant, I have to say, totally brilliant. You know. And delving into his parents' lives and, you know, also uh, how he somehow, you know, was able to, um, and also, again, through your relationship with him, um, evoke his mother's uh, internal experience. Mm. Because he's talked so often about her, almost like the Dalai Lama speaks about his mother. But, um, you know, there was another side to her, which uh, I hadn't really been in touch with until I read the book. And I thought, oh, yeah, there's a much wider spectrum of of life experience of light and darkness in um, his relationship with his mother and what her mother, what his mother's experience was. Yeah, I think that, you know, I I don't know even what he experienced of some of that, but it, it uh, clarified things about his mm-hmm. uh, character to me uh, also as we were going through that. I mean, especially his relationship with his mother. Well, I concur. I think it's an amazing book and, and you've done what every person writing a, a biography or an autobiography or a memoir um, – aspires to, which is in a way it, it becomes everyone's story. I mean, not in the particulars, of course, you know, but it, it evokes things within us about challenge, about daring, about ridicule, about, you know, 
uh, about all kinds of things. And, and he was so symbolic in so many ways of that time. And, and I would say he really, you know, something you said earlier, uh, Ramesh, he was really responsible in so many ways for the creation of a center like the Insight Meditation Society in a couple of different ways. One is that um, my colleague, Joseph Goldstein, came back from India about six months before I did. And um, he uh, was traveling across the country with some friends and he stopped in Boulder where Naropa Institute was just, had just opened an office. It was going to that summer launch. It's its first um, actual, you know, uh, program. And um, he says that, he stopped in the office and he asked if they might be interested in him teaching a course. He'd been in India for like seven or eight years. He'd practiced, he'd studied, his own teacher told him to teach. And and they said, no, not really. Uh, you know, what they said was it being founded by Trunk Rinpoche, who's a Tibetan. They said, we already have this Theravada named Jack Cornfield. We, it's enough. Yeah. So, you know, so Joseph went on to Berkeley and as he tells the story, he called Ramdas because we had all met and become friends in India. And Ramdas had some very forbidding message on his answering machine, as was in those days, like, not talking to anybody, you know, don't leave a message, something like that. And um, Joseph went off to Telegraph Avenue and ended up needing to use a bathroom and uh, went into a cafe and they said no, uh, only for customers. And I, to this day, I think, why did he like buy a muffin or something like that? But instead he went to another cafe and there was Ramdas. And, oh. and uh, so they sat down and talked and Ramdas was about to go to Boulder to teach this mega class at Neuropa right. Institute of like a thousand people. And he had these little divisions, like the chanting division led by Krishnadas. And, yeah, and we said, were all uh, his yeah. uh, teaching assistants. That's right. So he said to Justice, so do you want to teach the meditation one? <laughs> the meditation subgroup. So Joseph said yes. So that was Joseph's first teaching job in the States. And everything was born from there. Um, and then when we were, you know. You went to camp on his living room floor. I did. Yeah, yeah, I came back, you know, from India. And Joseph was living in student housing at Naropa, you know, at the Institute, which is what everyone was doing. Jack was living down the hall. And several of us um, – decided, as is true, uh, Joseph's the only one of our friends, you know, close friends, who has a job in an apartment. Let's all go to Boulder. <laughs> so we went to Boulder, and it, literally at one point, nine of us moved into his one-bedroom apartment, <laughs> and, which was torture for Joseph. You know, Joseph, and what you do? Yes. And uh, the way he tells the story was um, he really suffered until he finally let go of the thought that it was his apartment. And then we we're all just living together. So then it was fine. Um, and that was about two weeks before the end of the first summer session. And I stayed on for the second session uh, where Joseph was teaching. I was his teaching assistant. Mm. And then it all happened from there. And then when we were thinking of. Is that when you met Jack? Also? Yeah, that's when I met Jack. He was living down the hall. Uh, and other people were there. Mark Epstein was there as a student. You know, it was like another one of those moments in time. That was really important. And when we were thinking of starting a center uh, years later, you know, Ramdas was kind of the chief cheerleader. And uh, I don't think much would have happened without him. And I think we can say, because he was a pioneer, uh, you know, and feels like Roshi in, in uh, being with dying. And and he he played a very important role in in so many things. It's interesting. When I went back to uh, look at uh, uh, some of the "Be Here Now" text, when when you read the the uh, what he put down about yoga practice at that time, mm -hmm. that was I I think a, a great deal of the basis of what has become uh, yoga in the states because uh, mm -hmm. it was very clear. It was a very simple uh, Ashtanga. Practice and it was also integrated uh, pranayama and meditation and the yamas and niyamas. It was really the whole mm -hmm. uh, 
yoga uh, system laid out. And um, um, it, it was, you know, now that yoga is in every community in the country, mm-hmm. practically, mm-hmm. it really, uh, you can see the way those seeds uh, sprouted. Mm-hmm. You know, and the, the other piece that I feel is so critical is his uh, involvement in the end-of-life care field. Yes. Mm-hmm. And in, yeah. in the prison work, you know, I, I think that, quote, spiritual people, um, uh, not speaking about, say, Thich Nhat Hanh and Joanna Macy, but, you know, the sort of run-of-the-mill spiritual mm-hmm. person is, you know, probably somewhat dissociated from social and environmental responsibility. Mm-hmm. And he just laid it straight in the middle of his wor- into the middle of his world. And, you know, he, I mean, he brought, of course, this work to Dale Borglum, which, who did, you know, his the wonderful mm-hmm. Living Dying Project. Still Stan doing. and I were completely uh. lit by what, excuse me, <laughs> by what he was doing, you know, because we were doing the LSD-assisted psychotherapy with people dying of cancer. And, you know, we were reading the Tibetan Book of the Dead and we mm-hmm. were, you know, looking at what R.D. was saying about, you know, these the, these explorations in consciousness and, um, you know, later for me, um, uh, his work in the prison system made it possible for me to take this jump uh, here in New Mexico to working in the penitentiary of New Mexico. It just seems so logical to um, bring this kind of practice into the world of so-called corrections. But he was the pioneer. He was the instigator, the inspirator. Yeah, and that, that one is still going also, that prison ashram project uh, uh, is still being run by Sita Lozoff in North Carolina. And um, But I think that it came from, uh, you know, Maharaji was pretty down to earth uh, in his instruction. And basically, it was love, serve, remember, remember, from right from the beginning. And that service part, I mean, he named Ramdas uh, servant of God, of Ram. And uh, we're all in the, you know, all the Dasas are mm-hmm. in the servant class. <laughs> yeah, and, it's, you know, it became a, not just a social meme, but a global meme. You know, was and it wasn't just for, you know, the Neem Karoli Baba Ramdas clan, so to speak. I mean that. Yeah, uh, no, that uh, that quickly vanished into oblivion because Ramdas was so eclectic. Yeah, and I think that even in the retreats on Maui in these later years, this combination of uh, Buddhism and bhakti and wisdom and love have been so powerful that coming together of so many traditions and. Uh, without, um, you know, trying to turn it into some cult or, uh, I mean, we are a cult, I guess. Yeah, I would say, excuse me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm happy to be in that cult. (laughs) Bhagwan Das at one point called it the Naked Mind Sect. Oh, that's nice. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So I'm curious, Ramesh, you know, what is the one thing that um, got left out of the book that you wish had been in there? Ah. Um, hmm. I hadn't really thought about that one. I have to skip to the end of the book now to see if you have what I would have wanted to see in there. Maybe it's already in there. Tell me. Well, you know, uh, one of the um, striking experiences, which I actually quote a lot these days, of being in Maui, which is where Ramdas moved ultimately after his stroke and, and didn't really leave, and uh, except I guess months right toward the end of his life. But um, uh, and he, we would you know co-teach these retreats, and uh, in those years, those those last years, he was so made of light and so transparent and mm-hmm. um and it was it was just awesome you know given uh 
as Jones said, Roshi Jones said his, you know, his aphasia was significant. And he was somebody who'd had really like a golden tongue. This was his magical power. Was his yeah, he was a storyteller. And, and, you know, then there was all this hesitation and there was um, all those pauses and he was living in a wheelchair and there was, you know, all the physical pain and whatever, but he was, he was like made of love. It was just extraordinary. And one of my strong memories from one of those retreats was I was sitting way in the back of like 350 people and Ramdas was speaking and he said, uh, with a lot more pauses than I'm about to do, um, you know, the hardest thing after my stroke, harder than the physical pain, harder than um, the difference in, in my ability to speak, harder than anything was having to accept help. Yeah. He, he said it was the hardest thing and the most liberating. And mm. he went on to say one of my famous books is called How Can I Help? Now I feel like writing a book called How Can You Help Me? <laughs> and, and I thought, oh, you know, that's interesting, that sense of him being so transparent. It's almost like mm -hmm. there was a barrier within um, before where it was so much easier for him to give than to receive. Yeah. And when that barrier collapsed or dissolved, then it was just like there was nothing in the way. And I, I quote that a lot, Roshi, is, you know, as you do, I work some amount with caregivers and the very nature of their being, whether they're caregiving someone at home or professionally, uh, is that giving. Yeah. And it can be so much harder to receive. And I thought, oh, yeah. he, he even modeled that toward the end. Yeah. You the, know, uh, uh, yeah. he he was um, in the ICU a uh, couple of years ago, and Frank Ostaseski and I, uh, we're supposed to do a program on oh, what 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 was it called the grace of mortality or the blessing of mortality or oh, something yeah. like that. I was, I was, uh... And you know <laughs> Frank and I uh, land in Maui and um, you know go to the hospital and there he is. Uh, he's just been uh, um, you know taken out of the ICU into a regular room, but has just incredible edema on one side of his body. Mm. Um, he's almost died. Uh, Frank and I are looking at each other like, well, I guess uh, I guess we get to do this thing without our buddy here. And um, then uh, uh, later that day, he got discharged, came back to the house, and Frank and I are there. And uh, he's tired. He goes to bed. And the next morning, um, uh, we're all having breakfast. And he says, uh, in his aphasic, uh, mischievous way, uh, I'll be doing that program with you. We looked at each other like, "Oi, Gavalt. <laughs> Are you kidding? <laughs> this is incredible." So, um, you know, we had revised the 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 uh, program so it'd be just Frank and me. We re-revised it, and we sort of set it up so it wouldn't be too taxing on Baba. And then the first evening, uh, I remember we were in the, uh, the program was going to happen in the Makawao church. The church was jammed and it was raining like heck. And uh, we pulled up in front of the church, got into the parking lot, in the place where, you know, he could get unloaded in, with his wheelchair. And um, uh, he, he was definitely not well physically, but mm -hmm. he was so present. And um, uh, there was the usual kirtan at the beginning, and then uh, um, he got rolled in by Dasi, and there's Frank and I following behind and so on toward the stage, the wheelchair put on the stage, and he actually couldn't say anything. And I just remember um, this uh, sitting up on either side of him, uh, Frank and I, with him in the middle, uh, up on that stage. And it was the purest darshan mm. I have ever experienced. He was mm. just emanating loving awareness. Mm. And uh, uh, it went on for, I don't know, an hour and a half. And I was just stunned. It was so powerful. It was so totally transmissional. And then uh, we went back home and uh, Frank and I looked at each other, and it was just so clear that um, he was teaching us about what it really 
is to uh, be with dying. Mm. And he, you know, it's like we didn't have to talk. Nobody was talking. Mm. We were just in the field of pure presence. And of course, the place was just filled with young people. And I Mm. thought, wow, you don't have to bring language into this. He's, he is, the teaching is so powerful about what it is to awaken um, beyond language. It was, uh, it is like a field. It still is that uh, field, I think. That, and um, as Sharon was saying, you know, the intimacy of that space uh, and the love that he emanated, radiated, however you want to say that, um, was so uh, profound. I, I, the um, intimacy that was between him and his caregivers, so that I think they often felt like they were receiving more even than they were giving, even though they were taking care of his most intimate body functions because he just couldn't, especially, you know, in the last year or so, it was hard for him to do anything. And he was, um, but that acceptance and that openness to where he was, I, I, uh, I think I was uh, uh, at at the end of the book. I was quoting the uh, end of the Heart Sutra that the form is the form of the formless. Mm -hmm. The formless is no other than form. And he was living in that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, Ramesh, I am so grateful you included this uh, last photograph in the book and the last photograph of him before he died, of him, if you will, pointing, was it to Baba or to heaven or to space? It is such an incredible image. Yeah, I love that one. Uh, it's, I don't know whether he's pointing or it's the the subact, the all one finger, of the, uh, you know, you can take that. However, it comes to you. Hmm. Well, he's he's just translucent, but he's yeah. in that image. But one of the things is, you can. I mean, he has. You feel that he has merged with boundlessness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's merged with space. He's in the ah, the very last uh, syllable of the Heart Sutra. Wow. And on that note, uh, Ramesh, I'm wondering if you would um, be able to lead us in a short meditation practice, sort of based on Ramdas's transmission to us all. Well, I'll give it a try. It's going to be, uh, as he often did, just winging it and uh, let's see if he uh, wants to uh, join us. Um, you know his his uh, the meditations that he led toward the end were just um, he started out with uh, I am loving awareness and um, over time it began to uh, continue to evolve into just the I am kind of disappeared and it was just loving awareness Uh and love and awareness. I think those two um, parts of his being that, that incredibly uh, wise, conscious um, being who had been through uh, psychology and psychedelics and Indian philosophy and such, depth, and then had come to rest in the heart. So as we uh, sit together, let's just uh, let our mind 
sink into the heart. And if you want to come into your breath around the center of your chest and the diaphragm, then just allow yourself to relax into that, uh, into the rising and falling of the breath. And just be with it. Let yourself rest in that heart space. And in that uh, merging into love. That was the place that Ramdas was absorbed into. And uh, what he was calling the ocean of love. And allow the edges of our being to blur and to merge into that oneness. That oneness that we all share, that heart space. It isn't one or another of us that's just Ram. The great heart space, the heart mind, where we're just the breath. What Maharaji said of uh, Hanuman at one point, he said he's the breath of Ram. May we all serve as the breath of Ram. Well, thank you so much, uh, both of you, for joining me today, and Ramdas, who came by, no doubt. Um, to learn more about the book, Being Ramdas, you can visit www.beingramdas, that's www.beingramdass.com, or find yourself a copy wherever books are sold. And a big thank you to all of you who've been listening. This has been the Meta Hour podcast from the Be Here Now Network. May you be safe, may you be happy, may you be healthy, and may you live with ease. Hey folks, thanks for listening. To learn more about Sharon and her ongoing teaching schedule, as well as online courses and a free guided meditation, check out her website at SharonSalzberg.com. <laughs>